0: we want to continue a study that we started a couple of weeks ago called pra- practical ideas in evangelism. So, do you want need a handout for that or if you have your other one that's can use that one. If you got a big stack of papers in your Bible that you might have it. Hopefully I got enough here. Yep. This one here? Yeah, it's got the target on there. Yep. All right. So this is where we left off. Uh, we're going to be off schedule now for the rest of the quarter, which I don't like. I like, you know, to have expectations set and to, to be able to meet those for you. But uh, unfortunately, you know, if you follow this schedule here, uh, we're going to be off by one week. So that's okay. Uh, let me begin with the word of prayer, and then we'll review what we looked at last time, and then we'll continue on uh, where we left off. Lord, we're thankful for uh, Your grace, and we do want to come today and magnify You um, with praise. We, we want to give ourselves to You, uh, especially uh, we want to, to show ourselves worthy of the calling that You've given to us, and we want to praise our Savior, who is our prophet, priest, and king. He speaks on behalf of You for us. He also goes before you and and um, provides Himself as an offering for our sin, and He also reigns over us, and so we we acknowledge His rule and His worth in our lives, and we want to give ourselves to Him today and to you, and so we pray for Your grace, may Your Spirit work within us, and that this hour would be a time in which we can uh, grow in our knowledge of Christ and our knowledge of the Scriptures and be changed because of them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're wrapping up uh, our class here on evangelism. We've got about five more weeks left. And uh, we're getting kind of more towards the practical side of things. We have looked at in the first several classes the uh, foundation for evangelism, which is a proper understanding of God's worth and the fact that He's not being worshipped as He should all over the world and He deserves and demands more worshipers, and so we are His uh, people who are to be spreading the gospel uh, to people around us. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a good reminder because this really is the basis upon which we ought to be thinking about our evangelistic responsibility. And it is that we are ambassadors for Christ. Or we could say, on behalf of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. So, let's uh, skip back up to verse 17 just to get a little context. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, what you what we focused on the last time that we met was this idea of reconciliation, that we have been reconciled to Christ, and so, verse 18, we have now been given this ministry of reconciliation. And what does that ministry look like? Verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So, God has come to us, He's reconciled us to Himself, and now He's handed over to us this ministry of reconciliation. And then verse 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So now we become the mouthpieces for God, in a sense. That God has come to us, He's spoken to us, He's brought us to a place of reconciliation. And now He has said to you, you know, Ken, Mike, Stacy, you know, God has given you now this ministry of reconciliation. That that you have this responsibility to reconcile others to yourself, or, or to Christ, I should say. And so, that's our job. and And part of the challenge we talked about is that, you know, it's difficult because we have people... That, um, that don't quite understand us in our terms. We, we speak about the things of Christ. We, th- we speak about spiritual things. We even use words the Bible uses, and they don't understand them on the, same, on the same level. We could say things like justification. and As we heard last week from Bob McKinney, that people have a different idea of what justification is. Or we could say things like being born again, and they have a different idea of what it means to be born again. And so we have to speak clearly. We have to define terms. We have to work with them, and be be careful to to explain these things to them. In Acts chapter 17, we saw that Paul. We we saw the model for one of the models, I should say, for evangelism. We saw three weeks ago Jesus uh, that Jesus was our model in John chapter four that He actually took time to um, sit down with the woman at the well and speak with her and. And ask her questions and so on. And then you have, and then you have uh, Paul. He he. Um, his normal practice was to come to a city and then go to the synagogue, and he would reason with people who are already thinking about spiritual things. They're not thinking about them properly in many cases. But but Paul wanted to speak with them and reason with them. However, there were times when Paul spoke with people who didn't have a good spiritual foundation. They didn't understand about God and how he's worked with Israel over the years. And so how would he speak to them? In Acts chapter 17, you have Paul at the Areopagus. What did he do? Do you remember we've been talking about these kind of these four pillars, God, man, sin, and response. And so when we're talking to people about the gospel, we want to start with God and then about man and his sin and then about um uh... christ i missed christ there god man and sin is really one and then christ and then a response and typically what paul or others would do is when they would speak to jews they talk about how god has demand on their life that god owns them and that god has bought their people out of israel and so on uh, out of egypt and but but what happens when you talk to a complete pagan like paul's doing in Acts chapter 17 what do you where do you start I mean, if they don't understand the history of Israel and they don't see how it applies to them, where do you start okay right and so Paul's speaking with people who are serving all these gods in fact, Paul sees there that they have they have a statue in their in their city that says to the to the unknown God, and he uses that as a way to show them that hey, everyone knows that God exists. the Bible tells us that everyone knows that God exists. And so we just use that as a springboard. We just assume that. We don't have to prove that God exists. We don't have to go through the 12 proofs of God. Um, The Bible doesn't do that, right? In Genesis chapter 1, it doesn't say, "Here here are 10 reasons why God exists. It just starts out by saying, in the beginning, God. And we all know that that's true. And so people who say that they don't believe God are really just denying something that they know. Um, to be true because God has written it in their hearts. And it's been clearly seen through what has been made. And so Paul in Acts seventeen speaks to the Areopagus and he says, Listen, you even your own poets say, you know, that God exists. And he uses that uh like like Paul's just saying here. And then he takes that and moves to their sin and then and then shows them their need for Christ and and response. And from that we have that Several people responded with faith in Christ. Some some rejected it completely and others said, you know, I will I need to think about this. I'll, I'll get back to you. Um, Paul's world was not much different from our world. He was dealing with a lot of the same things that we are dealing with. He's dealing with uh, issues with regard to his government, Nero being the, the emperor of the time. Um, he's dealing with uh, all sorts of ridicule. He's dealing with sexual immorality in churches that, are, that is going on, like at the church in Corinth. Uh, you have doctrinal problems, like you have at Galatia. And so Paul's situation is very much similar to ours, and so sometimes we can use that as an excuse, like, well, Paul's too different from us. And so, you know, the way that he did evangelism, we can't really do it that way today. We have to change. And uh, in, in a sense, that is true, right? We can't change the message or the overall structure of what we're trying to get at, but there is a sense in which Paul says, you know, I I must become all things to all men so that by some means I will save some. And uh, so there is a sense that we need to, you know, adapt to a person's um, personality and their understanding so that we can um, so that we don't cause a stumbling block for them. All right, then we talked about uh, complete conversion. Um, this is on the second page of the handout. It's number three. Okay, we moved from ambassadorship to complete conversion. And the goal there is, again, we can't force conversion. So our ultimate goal is not conversion. Our goal, ultimate goal is faithfulness to the gospel. But we could say it this way, because what can happen is if we just say faithfulness to the gospel, oh, well, too bad for you. You 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 uh, didn't respond right. Okay, it's faithfulness to the gospel with a view toward conversion. So, with a desire to see people saved, isn't that what Paul did in in Romans chapter 10? You know, I wish I, I wish myself were accursed, so that the Jews would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, I wish I could spend an eternity in hell for the sake of these Jews, so that they could come to Christ. See, Paul's not just thinking, "I just want to be faithful to the gospel, and who cares what the results are." No, he's like, "I want to be faithful to the gospel." And I have a real a real desire to see these people come to Christ. Um, he he had a genuine love for them, and so I think uh, we need to have that in mind, while at the same time recognizing that we can't bring about the conversions. Okay, um, we can't bring about the conversions. The way I say it often is that you know we we're not salespeople. Okay, and with sales, you have the product. That you're offering to them or the service, and you, you give out your spiel, and then at the end, you got to close the deal. you got to make it happen, and the good salespeople are the ones who can close the deal. Well, I can tell you that the best evangelists can't close the deal. Okay, That's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And so, um, our job is to be faithful to the message with prayer and love toward seeing them converted. It wasn't enough to see them converted because actually that is not the whole of the Great Commission, if we simply went out and reached a bunch of people for the sake of Christ and saw them all make professions of faith, we would not have fulfilled the Great Commission. Because what does the Great Commission tell us to do? Make disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them everything that that I have commanded you. This is what Jesus is saying to us. So, Paul and I think the apostles throughout the New Testament are serious about Uh, Giving themselves to these people and seeing them discipled and grow. And this is the kind of things that we love to see in the churches that we support. And uh, as I'm going to, Eric and I are going to report next week on India, I'm happy to report that that is going on in India and um, through Santos George and his ministry. And so this is the kind of thing that we want to see because that's really at the heart of the Great Commission. There's lots of other great things that we can do. For the sake of Christ there's lots of other things we can do for the sake of missions in a broadest term but the best thing that we can do is to um, to be at the center of the great commission which is making disciples planting churches seeing people raised up uh, saved and then and then uh, discipled and growing all right so let's turn now to friendship evangelism this is where we want to spend our time today any questions on uh on the the first part there, on on the worldview part, and what we learned from Paul's. Do you need one? Any questions? Okay, friendship evangelism, or as my pastor used to call it, relational evangelism. Um, What do you think friendship evangelism is? Okay, don't look in your sheet because on your sheet it doesn't help you. It just tells you what it requires. It's not a definition. So what do you think friendship or relational evangelism is? What do you think I mean by that? Okay, developing a relationship. You wanna, anyone want to add to that or modify? Completely nix it? Okay. Okay, good. I like the end of that with the goal of sharing the gospel with them. Okay, and I think obviously that was implied in your statement. Um, But we could call friendship evangelism or relational evangelism the the discipline of developing non-Christian friends and then witnessing to them about Christ. Okay, so over time, we we witness to them. Now, there are lots of opportunities. I, I don't want to diminish... The unexpected opportunities, and I want to keep reminding us about this, that God often brings people into our life that we didn't expect and we're only going to see them once. You know, the airplane-type relationship. You're not going to develop a a great friendship with somebody on the airplane. Um, Or, you know, you're at a grocery store and you just happen to be talking to somebody. Um, You can use those for opportunities to evangelize and use that opportunity right away. You may never see them again. But what I'm talking about, and that's good, so I don't want to diminish that, but what I'm talking about is relational evangelism. This is the primary way in which I think people came to Christ in the Scriptures, is through relationships. Um, Jesus did this with his 12 disciples; that he made a had a relationship with them and then discipled them. Remember, that's the end goal. You're wanting to see them discipled. You want to see them get all the way till the end. Make it to glory, uh, having persevered all the way till the end. Paul did it in Acts 17. He's building relationships there. And so, if we're going to engage in serious relational evangelism, we need to have meaningful non-Christian friendships and relationships. Okay? Meaningful non-Christian friendships and relationships. Sometimes I think we treat unbelievers like someone who has Ebola. You know? We really want to see you get better, but we'll just keep our distance. Okay? We're just going to stand back here. You, you kind of hang out over there because you're infected and I don't want to get infected by you. And yet, what, what you see Jesus doing is not putting some huge barrier between him. Right? What is he doing? What kind of people does he eat with? He doesn't eat with all the righteous people. I mean, sometimes he does eat with the self-righteous, but, but he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. He's, he's hanging out with the people infected with Ebola, effectively. Saying, listen, I, I care about you. And, and sometimes we wonder why our evangelism doesn't work because we're throwing our our tracked hand grenades and just hoping that it'll do something while we're standing back here and not have anything to do with it. Right? We just hope that it, it makes a dent. We hope that the gospel does its job. Well, the way that the gospel does its job is through light, through lives, through lives like you and me. Like when we're actually investing ourselves into their life, and then displaying the gospel as long as, as well as speaking the gospel. So, friendship evangelism means having non-Christian friends, and I think for too long, in churches, um, in our circles, we have um, we have had that sort of mindset about unbelievers, that they are so infectious that we want to stay away from them. And so we kind of build up our little holy huddle and we we have only Christian friends and we only go to Christian places and we only have Christian people serve us and, and, and that sort of thing. We've got Christian mechanics, Christian everything. And hey, this, you know, you can trust them, you know. Uh, and, and as a result, we've isolated ourselves to a point where we it makes it very difficult to have non-Christian friends. And I think that's a dangerous thing. Now, obviously, the other extreme is you know, to hang out with them and do everything that they do, um, go to bars with them. Obviously, those are extremes that, that I'm not talking about. Okay, but, but I'm saying you have non-Christian family that you interact with and have good relationships with in many cases, right? Why can't you do that with someone else who's not... Uh, Sometimes we even isolate ourselves in a non Christian family, though that's the problem. So if we're going to do this, I think we need to be convinced about it and and we need to meditate on things like what Jesus did with with unbelievers and, and what many of the apostles did uh with developing friendships in that way. And this is going to mean an investment of time, which means more than just an odd conversation at work, right? How long can you reasonably chat about non-work-related things at work? Right? It's different. It's difficult. I mean, try to spend time uh, with those people. So you already have natural relationships. This is, by the way, the best way to create friendships is to become friends with people that you already have relationships with. Okay? Sometimes you think, okay, all right, where am I going to go? Who am I going to... Well, who do you already know? That's why at the beginning of this class, the beginning of this series, I asked you to write down three names of people you already know that you could be praying for. And and just as an aside, I would encourage you to keep praying for them by name and see what God does, because it seems like, to me, and the Scriptures, the way that people come to Christ is as people are praying, as the Gospel is being shared, and as relationships are being developed. Okay, Those things seem to work in concert, and then People are coming to Christ, and um you know what we need to recognize about God is that he wants to see people come to Christ, right He wants to see worshipers of him, he wants more of those, so why would we not expect him to to give what we ask of him to give us what we ask of him right who which father would ever give a stone if his son asked for a piece of bread right No, no father would do that, and our father. Is a loving father wanting to give us good gifts, so why not continue to ask him? Okay, so the relationships you already have, think about those work relationships, you know, neighborhood, um, family, uh, pe- places that you frequent regularly, you know, as you're developing relationships with these, try to develop opportunities to speak with them outside of those circumstances. So, like at work, it's difficult to talk to them about non work related things. Other than you know the weather and sports occasionally, but but maybe maybe go out to lunch with them. Hey, just what what do you do for lunch? Ask them if you could, you know, if they could join you, and and just and don't feel like the first time I get them to lunch, this is my time and I'm gonna I'm gonna attack. If the Lord opens the door, then then use that. But but um, but be reasonable and work on this over a long period of time recognize that, you know, they do need to hear the gospel but but um but sometimes um if we're not careful uh we can harm the relationship and 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 cut it off. And sometimes that's going to happen. That's the gospel necessarily offends, right? So so if if you give the gospel to someone and they just say, I'm never talking to you again type thing, then that's okay. Um but but if it's because you were just rude with them or a jerk to them with the way that you gave it then, then, um, then that's not okay. So so have lunch with them. Maybe have dinner with them. Maybe spend some time with them on the weekend. You know, you hear something's going on. They, they need some help um, with a move or whatever. You know, see if you can help them. Um, these are great ways to just develop relationships, deepen relationships that will further um, create the opportunities down the road to speak the gospel to them. You know they they see that you actually care about them. That that wow you 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 are different from me, but but um but you're also very kind and helpful. So develop long-term relationships which re- require um, for us to invest time. So how do we do this personally? Okay, what, what happens if we do develop relationship and Now we're thinking, okay, how do I turn the conversation toward the gospel? What what can we do? And that's what we want to look at next: how to communicate personally. But any questions on relational evangelism, friendship evangelism? Comments? Okay, so our goal in evangelism is to communicate personally the whole gospel to the whole person, with a view toward uh, conversion. And when I say the whole gospel to the whole person, I mean we want to see it affect their mind, their will, and their emotions because someone cannot come to Christ unless it affects all three of those. They need to, they need to understand it. Cognitive, cognitively, they need to understand that Jesus is the Savior and that He died for their sins and that He rose from the dead and that He lives for them. They need to understand these basic things. That's the intellectual side. They also, it also needs to affect their feelings. It needs to cause them to tremble at their own sin. It needs to, it needs to uh, cause them to to uh, be saddened by their sin, right? Um, but that's not enough because even the demons believe in God, right, James 2, and they tremble. So that's the intellectual side and the emotional side. But the third side is just as important, and it is these, this uh, will side, the volitional side. That, that they need to actually have an, what, what my seminary professor called an unreserved trust in the finished work of Christ. So it's not enough to know what Jesus did and to tremble or to to have some kind of emotional feeling. They actually need to get to have an unreserved trust. That's why we want to want this gospel, this whole gospel, to reach every part of them, mind, will, and emotions, or mind, emotions, and will. So how do we do this? Uh, John Stott offers. A strategy called double listening. Double listening. He's saying we need to have one foot in their worldview and one foot in our worldview. Okay, one foot in each world. And what he means by that is we need to be thinking on term. We need to be thinking in in our terms of our worldview, which is an eternal perspective. We want to see them come to Christ. Now, how can we find something that may relate to what's in their worldview? So we have our other foot in. In their worldview, and kind of try to think on their level, what are they thinking about right now? They're not thinking eternally. They're not thinking that you know I need I'm going. To, there's going to be a day of reckoning, and I'm going to have to, to give an account for what I've done in this life. So, what can we use in their life to help to help ask them questions and move them toward a proper understanding of the gospel? Isn't this what Jesus did at the, with the woman at the well? All right. What, what was the thing in her worldview that he that he used, right? The water. She's like, "What are you doing here? And why are you talking to me? Okay, Jews don't do that. And and especially me being a woman, what what is going on?" And he's saying, "Draw me some water. And and you know, I could give you some living water. See, see what he's doing there? He's kind of bringing something that's common that she understands in her worldview, and and something that she would love to have. You know, never thirst again. That'd be great." What what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about something from his worldview that has an eternal perspective that will forever change her, and and he's kind of bridging the context, bridging the worldviews, with this double listening type idea. So we can do this as well. Okay. So, is there a a movie or a book uh, that that someone at your work is watching or read, and you have also watched and read? And there's something in there I just thought, you know, this would be a good opportunity for me to ask them a question about, well, what do you think about that? I mean, what do you think God thinks about something like that? Or maybe it's a current event. I mean, there are lots of people who are very much engaged in the news of, of the world and in our area and so on. And so uh, use some of those things to say, you know, what do you think this is going to mean in the end? You know, why why did the Tower of Siloam fall on these eighteen people? Why do you think God would allow something like that? And you know we have scripture that actually tells us. You know, Jesus says, Um, you know you know what this ought to do for us? Because the disciples are like, Wow, you know, Pilate, he killed some he killed some Gentiles while they were sacrificing. Can you believe that? And Jesus said, Unless you repent, you will all likewise what? Perish. Perish. What's he doing here? He's using something from the current events to say, bridging it over to his worldview and saying, "Listen, this is this is a sign for us. This is a this is a message for us that we need to be thinking about the final day of judgment." Right. Same thing with the Tower of Siloam. He uses that same example. Says, "You know these 18 people that died at the Tower of Siloam. You know this tsunami that happened. You know this hurricane that took out you know hundreds of lives." Unless we repent, we're all going to be just like that. And, and yet it's going to be an eternal death. Okay, so sometimes it's something just as simple as a current event, bridging the gap. Okay, so the, this uh, little target that you have there on your, your sheet helps us uh, bring things into a focus. Okay, so from the outside, we have this common interest. We can talk to almost anybody about common interest. There's always something that we can talk about. You can even go to another country and you'll find common interest with people. Okay, maybe it's sports or beauty, for an example. And suppose someone is, that's what they're, all their life is about. You know, or maybe their kids. They want their kids to succeed in sports. Okay, well, ask them the question. Here, here's a question we can ask them. See that down there under immediate questions. Why do you want to succeed? Why do you want your ch- children to su- succeed? Okay, and then move from there to more direct question, which has to do with abstract, an abstract idea. Not something as concrete as uh, you know sports is really gives me a lot of satisfaction. But let's think about it more abstractly. Why do people want to be the best? Why is it that you ever wondered why we we want, we always have to be the best? Why is it that Americans have to be the best? You know why why do why do we want to be the best? And then next Christian explanation: the desire to do one's best is God-given, but man has preserved. Per- perverted that okay this is not going to just come across by the way in one statement a lot of these things are going to have to be explained right even the the first part the desire to do one's best is god given see god has put in all of us to be creative and to be excellent in our work that's that's part of how god made each one of us everyone who is a human is made in the image of god and made to do their best and that's a good thing but you know what we've done and then maybe you can use the example of Genesis 11 which is what the tower of babel okay the tower of babel and you know man and their self-centeredness wanted to be you know wanted to be the best but they did it in the wrong way they perverted what god had put into them and then apply it theologically uh letter e there god god made us like this but we always choose our own way rejecting him and um and as a result, you know there there's sin, and sin brings about judgment, and judgment requires a payment, and we have a payment in Christ, and Christ has offered that to you if you will repent and believe. And uh, there you go. There's your there's your four main things that we've been talking about with the gr- with regard to the gospel: God, man and sin, Christ, and a response. Okay, so so we're trying to bridge the gap between something that seems to be common, you know, and and you know what should be easy for us is that we know what our co-workers, a lot of our current Christian, uh, unchristian friends are going to say about things. Why? Because they say it over and over again, right? The same things that they liked yesterday and last week and last month, they like today. You know, the the guy that's always boasting about his children is going to boast about his children tomorrow. So we should be able to, you know, have you ever had that feeling like, man, I I should have said this. You go away from a situation and they said something, you're like, I should have used that to to say this. Well, guess what? You're going to have another opportunity because people don't change very much. They, they, They tend to like the same things. They tend to be frustrated about the same things. You know, the guy that's frustrated about politics is going to be frustrated about politics tomorrow. okay? And he's going to have find something else that he's not going to like about politics. And guess what? You're going to have an opportunity to, so to use those things. Okay, so start start, you know, if you want to, write it down. Here's the person's name. Here's the things that he likes and dislikes. These are the types of things that come up in conversation every day. These are the things that come up occasionally. Now, next time he says this, how could I respond to it? And then think of biblical examples. Well, how can I step in his worldview and in mine and then bridge the gap for him so that he can start to see where he needs to be going with an eternal perspective? Okay? So now, now I'm starting to get him here. And, and you know the first time you do it, it doesn't work. He, he doesn't bite or you know, someone comes in and interrupts. That's okay. You're going to have plenty more opportunities. Just make sure that you have thoughtful responses that you can give when that comes up again. Does that make sense? So, um, what are some ways that we can be strategic about friendship evangelism in our own life? How do we engage the world that immediately surrounds us? Um, I would say we've got to be careful about um, simply trying to display a godly life before them. Okay, that is critical, by the way. Because if you're talking to them about the gospel and how the gospel changes a person, it changes their perspective and then you're living just like them then your your gospel is not saying very much and your words are uh like the teacher in Charlie Charlie Brown right they they just don't um they don't communicate so um so suppose someone heard a clear gospel message but th- but then said you know it's very compelling but i wonder if he's what he's really like in his private life I wonder what he's really like. I wonder how she really lives away from here. Because, man, she puts on a good show while she's here at work or, or while she's around us. But, but the rest of the time, I can't imagine that she lives that way. So that's why we need to spend time outside of those current circumstances and, and move out to be with them in lunch conversations and, you know, uh, invite them into your life. There's a survey taken among teenagers – um in Canada and they said uh, one of the top things that they wanted was they wanted someone that they could believe in and someone that they could trust and and you know we live in a world that has been hurt in a bad way by leaders and by people who are just not trustworthy you know they've they've failed when when we've trusted in them then they they failed and so what can happen in our whole world is like this is we can put up this barrier against all people and just have this skeptical cynical idea about everybody and it's hard to even accept truth from from any person so the way that you build trust is by developing a relationship with them you know you the, the people that you trust most are the people that you spend the most time with right because you've been with them you know how they react um uh, Psalm 9:10 is always a verse that comes to mind. Uh, those who know your name, trust you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Okay. Uh, the reason that we trust God is because we know Him. And the reason that we can trust Him more is because we know Him more. The more we know Him, the more we see that He doesn't fail in His promises. He is good. He is loving. He is with us. And so we trust Him more. And the same thing can be true about us on a finite scale, obviously, that... that People trust you the more they get to know you, okay? And as you um, own up to your sins on occasion, okay, so if you just completely fail them, you, you don't just act like the rest of the world and just kind of ignore it, but instead you go to them and say, listen, I, I need to ask for forgiveness. Uh, truth is important and it must be, um, must be done both in word and in deed. We'll talk about that here in just a second. All right, let's think about five pitfalls of friendship evangelism, and we'll try to to work through these fairly quickly. First, the ism approach, or the ism syndrome. Taking the uh, evangel out of friendship evangelism. Okay, that's the ism syndrome. St. Francis of Assisi is known to have said, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Okay, now... Again, I just got done saying it's important to live a holy life. But that is completely opposed to what the Scriptures say. Because faith comes by a good life, and a good life by the Word of God? No. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. Okay, So, it is not enough to preach the Gospel with your life. Okay, that that's the type of mindset that says, "Well, I got a I've got a I've got a non-Christian friend, and I've been spending a lot of time with them." But you actually haven't shared the gospel. That's the ism syndrome. We're only doing evangelism. Okay, listen to this: We are only doing evangelism when we are actually speaking about Jesus, not about all of the other ancillary things uh, in life, not all about the the proper political approach and you know, the proper way to train your kids and the proper this and proper that, we're only doing evangelism when we have actually spoken about Christ, when we're speaking about Christ. Secondly, the chameleon syndrome. In our efforts to build up friendships with non-Christians, we can often just go too far and actually assimilate with them. Sometimes people call themselves Christians and then they use the cloak of evangelism to get in and do things uh, that they want to do for their own desires, not for the purposes of God or advancing His Word. You know, I, I would never go to these places, but, you know, these unbelievers are there, and so, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to do something that I think God might not be happy with, but I'll do it anyway, and I'll call it evangelism, you know, like a bar or a rock concert or something. Um, Romans 12:2 says that we are to be in the world but not of the world, right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So, um, obviously, Jesus went places that he wouldn't have otherwise gone, right? To a sinner's house, but but he went there for the sake of evangelism. But but he didn't cross the line and start going over to, you know, temples of false gods. And you know, I'll sit in your worship service just because I want to reach you, type thing. Okay, so we got we got to be careful. Use wisdom. There, we need to be. Clearly and distinctly different, but at the same time, um, not not going over, uh, not going too far, not being a chameleon. Number three, the "this is my truth, tell me yours" syndrome. This is very prevalent in in our society for sure. With the idea of relativism, um, you know, we we have a testimony of how we came to Christ. We have a testimony of what God has been doing in our life. And so we want people to hear and to respond. And sometimes we have this danger of relying too much on our testimony and not on the truth of the historical Jesus. Okay, So we have this testimony that we've got bottled up, and if I can just get this to the person, then that will be enough. And um, certainly, Paul gave his testimony in Acts. I think it's recorded at least two times, maybe three times there. So it's not it's not improper to give our testimony, but that, if that's the only thing that we've done, then then we haven't done enough. I'm sure you've had the uh, response that after you explained to someone how you became a Christian, that they've said something like this, Jacob, I'm so pleased for you, but um, that you have meaning and purpose for your life, but that's not really for me. You know, that's, that's not really for me. So, so what they've done is they've, They've taken your understanding of the gospel, or their understanding of the gospel has come, come from your testimony alone. And they haven't actually been introduced to Jesus. Okay, so certainly don't minimize your personal testimony, what Christ has done for you, but ultimately the goal is to bring people face to face with Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. And um, if we're not careful, our testimonies can take over, and then it's like, well, I got a testimony too of how my religion changed me. So that's nice. And uh I would say even though Paul did give his testimony his absolute objective reality um in his understanding of what they needed was Christ's resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15:14 If Christ had not been raised, our preaching is in vain and so is our faith. Number 4, the filter syndrome. Um we can be trying so hard to win someone. Okay, this is the, you know, again, our goal is faithfulness with a view towards conversion. But if our goal is conversion with hopes toward faithfulness, here's what's going to happen. We're going to have the filter syndrome. And that is that, that we compromise the quality of the message. That, that we don't talk about the tough parts of the gospel. What are the tough parts of the gospel? Okay, sin. Okay, repentance. What is it? Acceptance from... Accept, accepting Christ. How about the result of sin? Right? Not just your sin, but the judgment that's going to come on you. The four-letter word that's hard to say to unbelievers. Hell. Yeah, we believe in hell because Jesus believes in hell. And... People who reject him are going there, and their hell is full of people right now um, who have rejected him. So, 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 what we want to do is we want to minimize it, and, and, and we do that so that we can be accepted. That's because we have a, we have a goal of conversion and only a view toward you know faithfulness. I hope faithfulness comes in there too. But if we want to be if we want to do what the scriptures say, we need to be faithful to the message. With a view toward conversion, which means we're going to give them the whole gospel, including the hard parts, which our world tends to our subculture Christian, okay, in the broadest terms, Christian world tends to leave out the parts about sin and judgment. Just turn on your your um, T V or radio preacher for the most part and and you're not gonna hear too much about that. Um Here's what Paul said to the ephesian elders in acts twenty twenty seven i have not I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole counsel or the whole will of God so be aware of the filter syndrome and then finally the marksman syndrome ultimately those around us are not targets for shooting down but but their souls in need of a savior and so we need to make sure that we are we are full of love and um Paul tells us to imitate. Christ, who is full of grace and truth, the, he was serious about what he said. I didn't come to I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Um, but at the same time, he was also very loving. He was, you know, First Peter three says, always be prepared to give the reason for the hope you profess, but do it with gentleness and respect. So, here's what can happen too. Here's the other extreme. You know, sometimes we want to leave out some of the hard parts, but then you've got some people who like to be antagonistic. And they know this is the truth, and so they like to give give them a big healthy portion of the sin and the judgment, right? And the need for repentance, and then they don't do it with love, and it comes across as, you know, uh, a fire hose to the person, and and they're just kind of blown away. Like, what's so great about this, right? Um, so so we need to be we need to do it with love. Think about how you. Received the gospel. Think about how you would, if you're an unbeliever today, how would you like to receive the gospel? Okay, would you like somebody shoving it down your throat, backing you up in the corner, and and putting their finger in your face, or would you like someone to do it to you with love, and and over a long period of time, you know, over some coffee and and as they let you know that they're praying for you, and so on. Okay, that's the kind of way that we ought to be sharing the gospel. Compassion on them like like uh, they are sheep without a shepherd, as Jesus saw them. So those are the pitful, pitfalls to be avoided. Um, and uh, we can only avoid them if we are aware of them. So that's why you have them there. Any questions or comments? Jennifer? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 right but i would say in the larger context of your salvation experience that there were other people who were showing you love that's the thing is that you didn't have any it wasn't the only appeal that you received now some people may have and, and that that's your point i think is that some people have come to christ on an emotional appeal that was all about sin and judgment and get out you know get out of hell free type thing um and you know those are legitimate if they're persevering till the end but um but i know with my my situation i had both of those as well you know that i had the emotional appeals but i also had people that loved me and i saw their lives from day to day and i knew what it was like and so i could i could trust that that what they were saying was true so yeah it's a good point ken yeah Excellent. All right, let's pray. I'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for your grace and salvation. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the the truth of the gospel that we are continuing, continuing to learn and to love. Strengthen us in our desire to share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen.